0: Hey guys, this is Samuel with another episode of Learnings where I share my notes and commentary on multiple hours of YouTube videos that I watch for self-education. I often cover two or three interviews, seminars, under the ideas of giving, getting, and the future where the two meet one another. I like starting with sort of a weekly review. So this week, I had the rest of those insight videos which I finished, uploaded, and scheduled incredibly fast. I've been on a roll this month. Uh, I was surprised. Uh, But since I was so focused on a bunch of other things, I didn't get to do my titles, which is my monthly book reviews. Any revenue I get from YouTube at the moment is probably going to come from those since those have affiliate links and they're buy specific content. Uh, however, I wasn't really planning on doing my titles because I noticed that with and with when I do them, I'm just behind a whole month and that's totally whack because so I decided I'm going to save maybe the maybe three books from that la- the last month and add them to the ones for this month and call the titles for November instead of for fucking like October. And that's not just for branding or content-specific purposes, it's also for search engine optimization on YouTube. So there's that, and I could tell you guys about my monthly goals, which I'm probably going to obliterate, but I'd rather not, because one, we have this episode to go through, and two, I don't, I don't know, I feel like I should probably keep those to myself, I'm not sure why. Video one, it is always day one at Amazon, Jeff Bezos and Bloomberg. I don't even know what Bloomberg is. I don't know who Je- I do know who Jeff Bezos is. He said once in an interview that it's always day one on Amazon, and he treats all these things like they're small because he just imagines it all like it's nothing compared to what it is, and that helps, you know. So that's nothing. It's and that's difficult. That's nothing that's difficult, it's a, it's a mindset. But he also understands the importance of futurity. So he's a very cerebral CEO. I had a fucking crazy epic rant in defense of Jeff Bezos and Amazon. It's it's on my YouTube channel, The link to which can be found in my bio somewhere, I mean, on here. If you tap the link, it takes you to my link tree. There are four options, Beats, Letters, Insights, and the wonderful show you're listening to right now, Learnings. Letters is my new EP. Beats is where rappers and singers can buy instruments instrumentals for me but insights is my youtube playlist where i talk about things that i've learned and my application from them and all that other shit and the rant can be found in insights So to start off, he quoted Ben Graham, who was Warren Buffett's original mentor, saying that in the short run, the stock market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. So I don't think so. He's like, don't think daily about the price uh, for the stock. And the employees for a while had stock options and he didn't want them counting their success in that way. So they don't get caught up in when the stock price is, you know, 30% up one day, they're gonna feel smarter, but when it's 30% down the next day, they're gonna feel dumber. The interviewer asks him an interesting questions about you know there's Amazon Go and Amazon Music and the cash foods and uh, I mean the cash stores and Whole Foods and all these things he's kind of like owning or managing and that's crazy so he's like how do you balance all that and Jeff goes on about all the things but He says the cultural thread that runs through those different things is the same. And that's what he focuses on, you know, overarchingly, if that's a word. And if you look at everything they do, you'll notice that they all run straight through everything with that cultural thread. I love the term cultural thread, I don't think I've heard it before, I think maybe he made it up or something. It's all based on like two or three principles or ideas. Obviously one of them is customer focus. Your customers are always ahead of you because your competitors aren't as powerful or in control of the market. Market. Anyone who listens constantly to this podcast might notice how obsessed I am with Jeff Bezos nowadays. It's really because I saw his I A Gala interview about men, about like lessons in management for episode I don't know it was like ten or eleven or something, but I was very impressed with his viewpoints on management. There's his net worth, which is mostly kind of his stocks from Amazon, from what I've heard, but it's really because of his fucking ability to strategize long term. It's kind of unmatched. He's thinking 2018. But that's really just because that's where he physically is. In his head, he's like deeper. He's also really thinking about everywhere from 2022 to fucking 2200. Apparently, customer get, obsession gets harder when you get bigger, and that makes sense. He said it got to the point where Amazon was like they started looking more at the data than anything because that was like what revealed the actual behavior of the customers. I just got a book called *The Black Swan* about how people will create a narrative for themselves to explain around anything about around anything using any sequence of facts that they know. That is fucking fascinating. It's fuckingating. I fuss fuckingating. Fuckingating. I don't know, but I just found the recommendation from the interviewer and as soon as I hear about a book like that I'm like okay I if I don't get it that immediately I'll probably never get it so I just got it he goes on about anecdotes people will use since you know his email, Jeff Bezos, or Jeff at Amazon is actually kind of famous. He responds to every one that he can, he reads most of them, and if some of them catches attention, he'll forward them to a senior executive of that branch or sector with a question mark, which is shorthand for, could you look into this? And that's the question of the anecdote. Now, what I find interesting is that he, is, that he said is that when the anecdote and the data disagree, the anecdote is usually right, which is weird. Amazon apparently has a very weird meeting culture. They never use powerpoints. They have a rule called the two pizza rule, where you should never have an executive team that can eat more than two pizzas together. If someone puts together a memo, like a real full memo, everyone reads them kind of silently in the meetings. It's like a study hall. They do it for half an hour or so and then discuss it. And it's so much better than the typical powerpoint presentations for so many reasons. But the first half hour is all in one room for a meeting because executives are like high school kids when they're so busy in general just bluff their way around reading it. So if everybody reads the memo at the same time, then they all know that, you know, each person knows that, you know, the other guys read it and they talk about it all in one session together. They all talk, they talk about it in one session together. It's so much easier said his leadership, (laughs) his leadership, no one, no one stutters like that, (laughs) I hope. (laughs) His leadership style has changed a lot over the years because it's had to not, and and it's based around not just what they're going to do, but how. And now he's kind of a teacher and he loves work, but he just kind of went to Norway and went dog sledding with Mackenzie and his wife and everything. And people are like, he's so selfish. Dude, if you had that money and you weren't managing a company like Amazon, you would probably end up doing the same thing but he's like i couldn't wait to get back to work and he's always staying like two to three years in the future always advice like that's probably hard to be in norway dog sledding and staying two years in the future you're probably like dude like what the fuck is going on with the uh, with the next like Echo product or something? Like I'm not I don't really uh, like your your head is in a very different place, so that's probably difficult. And it's always yes. Yeah, so he's always staying three years in the future, advising his senior team to do the same and look around corners. So if something pulls him into the presence, it's because something has gone wrong. <laughs> and he said it's not about how you sh- it's not it's not about how you should be running a business that like like of that scale that's not how you should be doing it if you're like thinking about like the like where you are now you should be i i think in the last episode i went through something where if you were, where a guy said that if you are running a company you should always be running two the company you're in right now and the company you're becoming so i thought that was pretty cool he said if you're gonna do anything new or innovative you have to be willing to mis- be misunderstood and if you can't tolerate that <laughs> then don't do anything new or innovative for a while, they always, just had a, they, they always just sold books and they had a customer send in a review and the publishers hated this because publishers can't stand hate and not all the reviews were positive. And one publisher suggested that their sales would go up if they just published the positive customer reviews and he was like, I don't believe that because we don't make money for selling things. We make money for helping customers make a purchase decision. And it's just a slightly different way of looking at things. And that's why you want negative reviews too. And it also comes full circle where the next generation of the product is improved and nobody even criticizes customer reviews now. Now it's crazy to publish only positive reviews. He said if he could have his legacy written, he would just want it to say world's oldest man because of the long term and his work in Blue Origin. A guy named Arthur C. Clarke, now he's talking about Blue Origin. I don't know who the fuck Arthur C. Clarke is, but he apparently said that all civilizations either become space-bearing or extinct. So, you know, like, the thought is that if we had a plan B, then if Earth gets destroyed, then we will be fine. And Jeff finds this extremely unmotivating. He said, we've sent probes to every planet in the solar system, and Earth is the best planet. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a fanatic of these guys, like other rappers are of, like, Tupac and Biggie. I'm, co- I'm cool with them. I fuck with them. It's just not the same way. I don't know why. Um, I probably do, but it would take forever for me to explain it. But Jeff probably threw a sub at Elon Musk here with the whole argument that living in Antarctica or Alaska or whatever is a garden paradise compared to living um, on Mars. I just don't think he understands things or rather looks at them the way Elon does. Jeff is just extremely intelligent and he knows what he's doing. He's not like, he's not that creative I'd say. Uh, Elon, at least compared to, cause Elon has innovation and unrealistic ambition on his side, like the type that, that he sees shit before it's remotely there. And when it's there, it's because of him and his team. He's a low-key extremist on something he's talked about in interviews I don't know much about it at all. He calls It's called First Principle Physics. But Charlie Munger said once that Jeff knows what he's doing and you should never bet against him, whereas Elon just thinks he can do anything. <laughs> it's like comparing Grant Cardone to Gary Vaynerchuk in a way. Like even though these guys aren't exactly competing, they're doing di- different shit for different reasons. They both have different intentions, but they each ultimately want to have some positive impact on humankind at the end. And I think if you look at it that way, especially as a customer of any of these people, or even not, then everything probably makes a little bit more sense to just accept. There are a few CEOs he actually looks to emulate in a way I had no idea about this. Like the guy in J.P. Morgan and the guy who runs Disney, I have no idea what their names are, and Warren Buffett. Then there's his family history with his brother and his grandparents, and it's crazy. There are so many interesting stories behind it. If you want to check those out, he had an, a rare, what, what the, the person who published it, or put it on YouTube. Called it a rare interview with uh, that that Jeff had with his older, but his younger brother Mark, and they talk about all these stories in depth. I think that's why he, they decided it was rare. Um, they talk about all these stories that you would not hear about many of them in uh, in other interviews. Uh, so yeah, that's a really it's a really good interview. I recommend checking it out. Co2 is the David Rubenstein show with Tim Cook. I'm a big fan of Tim Cook. I think he's a very underrated CEO. I think that even though he's Apple's CEO, I think that even though there's a scary amount of different things you can learn from Steve Jobs if you at least want to consider it. Steve Jobs is fucking dead. And if nobody else is learning from the person rather than only the spirit that kind of drove Apple to where it was in 20 in 2011, the guy at the front has been doing this for 7 years now. The earnings have actually gone up 80%. percent they viewed the stock price, revenue, and profits as a process of doing the right things, treating customers like jewels, and and focusing on the user experience. When Cook announces his quarterly earnings, uh, I'm pretty sure he has to, he doesn't really have a choice, a lot of analysts and such are quick to fixate on how many units are sold. But I mean, even though that's probably like their job or something, Apple tries to be clear about the fact that they run the company for the long term instead of trying to just make a quick buck. Warren Buffett is now investing in Apple, and Tim loves that because, I mean, he's a legendary investor, and that's because he's so fixated on the long-term, uh, like Apple, on top of so many other reasons, probably. But the interviewer, David Rubenstein, I don't, think I've ever, I don't think I've seen any interviews from him until this one, but he was like, you know Warren still has a flip phone, right? Do you think the stocks would go up if he got an iPhone? Tim laughs and he's like, well, I'm working on that. I told him I would would love to go over to Omaha and personally help him with any tech support I can offer. This sounds like a good deal to me. Whether Warren would bother giving a shit, I'm not sure. I mean, he has stock in Apple either way. Jobs had a vision that a workplace should be able to flow seamlessly, and that's why they built Apple Park. When Tim grew up, he said he wasn't really a star in anything. He got reasonably good grades. He was just raised in a good family, good public school system, and he went to Auburn, I don't know, was the, the high school or, or college, and he was like, I did pretty good. <laughs> he really got into industrial engineering. He started working as a production engineer for IBM, and robotics were really beginning to take off at that time, and so they were focused on automation and didn't do that well while he was there for 12 years so then he went to a place called Compact and he was there for 6 months I'm not surprised because I haven't even heard of them and Steve Jobs or someone at Apple was like here come over to Apple and Steve had come back to the company at the time and he was essentially replacing a lot of the management team but after a few minutes of talking to Steve Tim was like I want to do it I want to work <laughs> I want to work at Apple and there was something there was a spark in Steve's eyes that Tim said he had never seen in a CEO before he was like going left when everyone was going right. He was doubling down on the consumer instead of fucking around on everything else. So Tim was like, I want to do this. And his friends were like, um, the fuck? Fucking bozo. But working for and eventually managing the top commuter company in the world, it's like, why leave? I really wish interviewers would stop asking him questions about Steve Jobs. Like, I don't hate on Steve Jobs or anything, but I feel like they're either going to ask him these questions forever, or until it's established amongst the general public, or at least ecosystem of journalism itself, that like, okay, it was life changing, and yes, this is his story, but everyone knows it now, and we can see it in his fucking eyes when he speaks to us. The iPhone is the most successful consumer product in the world of all time. One in every seven people on the planet either owns one or has owned one before or both. So David Rubenstein was like, how long should I expect an iPhone to last if I buy it? Now, I could spend 10 minutes answering this question myself, but, how, but, how, but long, long story short, contrary to popular belief, which is like, I don't know, like three years or some bullshit like that, maybe two or one, I think it all comes to, down to how well you treat it. There's so many expectations and so many speculations about bullshit like this. People have to cry about it all the time as if Apple's not doing anything about it, like, at all. But, you know, but you know, that's what visionaries probably deal with every day until the skeptics are proven wrong and beyond then. So, Tim gave an answer, and I was like, he's gonna... Uh, it's one I thought he would probably give, like, one he would use, you know, he'd dodge an actual answer. Probably, actually, definitely something Steve would... He definitely something Steve would do. And he said, well, I think you should expect that Apple's going to keep innovating and you should jump on that train now because life is just so short, David. <laughs> it was like, well, you have the iPhone, the iMac, the iPad and all these other things. And then you got the Apple watch. He's like, you ever notice that? <laughs> Tim's like, well, yeah, I kind of like the Apple watch. And he's like, And he's like, (laughs) Tim's like, do you like it? And and David's like, I don't know, you're the CEO. (laughs) Cellular is apparently now on the watch, so you you don't need your phone. You can just go out and have your watch. Here's one of the best things I've ever heard him say in an interview. Like, this is the reason I'm so big on supporting Apple. I mean, I own three products of theirs, but Tim said one of the best moments of his day is when he gets all these emails, thousands a week. But he's reading them, and it's from people with heart problems, saying that they wouldn't have gone to the doctor sooner, as soon, if they didn't, have that one alert on the watch from, you know, like, if your heart rate goes to a level that doesn't make sense relative to the activity you've been doing. He tries to keep this, he tries to keep his hands on the pulse of the customer with things like that. Here he talks about values, which I'm very supportive of. I feel like a handful of the components that make up the leftist side or area of my political viewpoints, if I even have those, they kind of, they kind of shine in reflection of his viewpoints among that of other, you know, some other great CEOs of today. So one is the relationship between the data and privacy. Apple is obsessed with this shit. Then there's the importance of equality. I think Tim's gay. I looked it up once, but when I looked at the results, I was like, hmm, I don't think Google gives a shit. And it had occurred to me then that I probably don't give a shit either, to be honest. And yeah, I just love this. Like, he said someday you could wave a wand. If you could do that and everybody in the world would treat each other with dignity and respect, then many of the problems in the world would go away with it. Something that I didn't even write down, by the way, I think that Steve Jobs was very, a huge difference between them. I think that Steve Jobs was very focused on two things. The actual product and the consumer and, you know, there's those. And then there's, then there's making sure that there's, you know, a balance and drive between... There's that intersection, right? Between science and, uh, and like, art and culture and, and innovation. But then... Tim takes that to another level, and he adds something on t- He adds like a layer on top of it, which is, hu- like, I think I might be using the word wrong, but humanitarianism and caring about and like loving the loving of humanity. And maybe there was a strain of that for Steve, but Tim kind of like takes it to another level and seriously focuses on it. I mean, I'm 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 very impressed with that. And he gave up some of his privacy when he said he wants to others to be able to protect theirs. And he did it for a greater purpose, which of course I'm all about. Because there were, there were, and still are, but hopefully less, there were a lot of kids uh, out there not being treated well, even in their own homes. And kids need someone to say, oh, they did okay, and they're gay, so it must not be a life sentence in some way. And, yeah, that rhyme, <laughs> bars, and getting those notes tugged on his heart. Where to a point where he was like, I'm making the wrong call trying to stay private about my life, and I need he's like, I needed to do something for the greater good. Obviously, he doesn't regret it. Actually, recently had a meeting with Trump, which sounds interesting, and he talked about the importance of trade and how two countries trading together make the pie larger. And it's true that not everybody has an advantage from that which they got to work on. Uh, they also talked about, you know, like immigration and Im- the importance of fixing the dreamers issue, whatever that is. It's a court ruling away from a catastrophic case, whatever that means. Apple has 260 billion dollars of cash. They I thought they had a lot more, but I mean, I don't know what the fuck. They are going to create a new site and campus that and create 20,000 new jobs, they're probably going to do a lot more than that with that much Like That's probably, that's probably like a dent in that much money. I don't know. His mom passed away three years ago. She was there to see him become the CEO. David's a funny interviewer. He's like, was she proud of you? Was she like, could you help me use my iPhone? <laughs> His dad is still alive. Uh, and David asked if Tim would ever think about running for president, he's like, I'm not political, which is weird, but I think he's more focused on ethics and values within his circ- own circle of concerns, which is fucking enormous. Anyway, that's, when, then, he's more focused on that than perhaps what should or shouldn't be in the eyes of the government of the world's most powerful country. David asked him toward, at the end, uh, if he's, you know, like how he has, there are so many CEOs of like, of such large scale companies, but uh, he's like the most humble of them. And David was like, how do you do that? And he's like, like, is it natural? And he's like, well, when you work at Apple or for Apple, there's a high expectation of everyone to perform and contribute. And because of the, the high bar, no one ever really quite gets to, he never feels that egotistic, just feeling long, long, let alone at all.